Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have a great show lineup for today. Very timely topics. Um, you know, we're going to start off with um, Melanie Holmes. Um, a special, special guest, guest, yes. We have today. Excited we to have you here. Very excited. I'm to have excited you here. to be here, gentlemen. <laughs> so we'll introduce Melanie here in a second. Um, but you know, we also have a topic about five ways to control emotional spending. If we get there, true. We, this is a meaty topic, so we we'll see. We're going to play it by ear, and um, we've got a lot of questions from Melanie, and Melanie has a lot of answers, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, she does. So this is going to be a very exciting show. By the way, I'm Steve Marber, and I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with about 22 years of experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening today on our weekly show. We are up every Friday afternoon on our podcast right off our website. Yeah, the website is moneymd.net, and we do have the podcast up there, Steve. Um, we also have a link to to the historical podcast we talk about a lot of different topics on the on the show we also have some videos that we've produced we do talking about various topics from long-term care insurance to budgeting to market corrections so go check that out we have a facebook page so we're trying to communicate in a lot of different ways we have a twitter account so we're out there the money doctors are trying to do some great education out there um, to inform consumers that's right. And there is a lot of information on our website now. A lot of new videos. Like you said, we have an entire video library. So do check us out on our website. You can you can link to us there directly to the to the podcast page at moneymd.net. Um, and you can re- send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. We'll talk about those on the show. Um, you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. But we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yes, and, and go figure. The financial fact is going to be about um, identity theft victims. And so pulled some information off. Uh, Melanie, you probably know this very well. But um, the, the statistic is, is there's about 15 million residents um, who have had their identities um, used fraudulently each year. And that costs upwards of $50 billion. And the other interesting fact that's, uh, that's tied to that is close to 100 million additional Americans They've had their personal identity, um, their information that's been placed at risk. You hear about it all the time mm-hmm. about places being hacked from our government to corporate databases. So there's a lot of information flowing, you know, out there about us. And so that's why we're talking today about, you know, fraud and identity theft. And that's why we have you here. Awesome. I'm yeah. excited to get into it. Speaking of which, um, Melanie, I mean, you're, you're with Savvy Senior Training. Um, I know you have a tremendous amount of experience in this area, so I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. Hi, guys. Yes, I am so excited to be here today because this is something, a topic that is close to my heart. I do deal with it a lot um, in many different variations of uh, fraud and taking advantage of uh, beloved seniors and just people in general. So um, again, yes, my name is Melanie. And as you can probably tell, I am not from these parts. I'm not a southerner. <laughs> I and love I won't, your accent. I won't try and, and do a southern accent. <laughs> but um, I'm from England and I've been in the technology area um, 
for about 30 years, wow. really working in an office environment, more on the training side, always was the go-to person to help people understand technology and how to use it practically. Um, so um, I have a business degree from Strathclyde University up in uh, Scotland. Mm, so, um, but I've been in America about 17 years, started out in New York. That was too cold for me. Uh, so yeah, I figured, yeah, welcome to cold. the south. Yep, I'll come down here and enjoy the warmth in the weather and in the hospitality of the people. I do have a question for you. So your, your, your business is named Savvy Seniors. What percentage of people that you work with are not seniors? I mean, do you, because I know you help them, but you also help other people yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. About, I would say 30%, and I'm broadening that out as well, because with the name senior, people tend to think it's only seniors, yeah. but actually I do help basically add adults, grown people, <laughs> not the millennials as such, because they know technology yeah. already. But for those that struggle, I mean, technology can be pretty confusing. And so being able to get help and my specialty is in personal help, mm-hmm. you know, doing the one on one, coming to your home, okay. helping you with your devices and your setup and how to configure everything. Yeah, I was going to ask how that worked. OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, so can you describe that a little bit? Like yeah. what a typical relationship client would be? Yeah, absolutely. You? So somebody might call me. They've got... Um, an upgrade on their computer. They had Windows 7, now they've got Windows 10, Mm -hmm. and it completely looks different. They don't know where to get their stuff. Even though it may have been transferred over, they don't know where to find their files. They don't know how to get their email. So I will go in and set that up with them, show them how to connect to their Wi-Fi, show them how to use their printer, how to do scanning perhaps. Um, I've had clients who maybe they're pretty proficient on the computer, but now they have a role in their church. Maybe they're the church secretary. Mm -hmm. So now they've got to do documents in Word and scan them and email them and do um, mass email to the list of people. So that's a new area for them that they want to get upskilled in. Another area is people that are going back to work and they haven't been in the job market for a while. So now they're discovering that everything is computers. So they need to know Microsoft Office. They need to know Office programs. So I can help them to get up to speed and feel comfortable. So when they're being interviewed and someone says, do you know Microsoft Word? Yes, I'm comfortable. I've, I've been using it and I had to do it. So Fantastic. Yeah, and you also go into businesses and, and, and talk. So you're going to be coming into our business, Richard yeah. Young Associates, on September the, the 12th as well as the 14th. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a session in Aiken and also a session in, in Augusta from 5 to 6. So if you're listening out there, it's open to obviously clients, but also to the general public as well. It's going to be about an hour long, and we're going to go into some more detail um, of some of the topics. So you do a lot of education out right. in the community as well. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, especially on this topic, getting the word out and repetition, you cannot repeat this enough because people forget in the moment – you know, they'll, they were caught off guard, but if you keep repeating, then hopefully when the moment happens, they will think, oh, hang on a second, this sounds like a scam that I've heard of, or mm-hmm. I should stop and, and maybe think about this or call somebody else before I take action or hand my money over. Yeah, I had one, as you, thought, as you were talking about, um, you know, the, the millennials, the, the younger folks, they're definitely better at technology, but the thing that they don't have that we have is a little bit of experience. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, um, I get emails pretty frequently that are phishing. And so I got one last week. And um, so I've communicated this to my kids because they don't necessarily know this, the phishing scams out there. But it was from Apple. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things I've, I've learned over time is look for misspelled words. And actually, there was a the, the web address down in the body of the text said um, it was said click on this link. And it said forgot Apple ID. 
they spelled misspelled forgot they spelled it frogot f-r-o wow and so it was very obvious yes. but so i've talked to my kids you know about email phishing scams mm-hmm. that they just don't they're not they don't have the ex- experience on right exactly and that is that's a great point because um a lot of times those scams are coming from countries where english is a second language mm-hmm. so it's, it's pretty easy to spot those things and then also just being aware that you don't click on a link that's asking you to enter your personal information or to log in. So that if that's your basic rule, then that'll help you with avoiding that kind of scam. Yeah, go on their website directly. Right. Well, how do you, so how do you know if everything's spelled correctly? I mean, we get I get emails from UPS saying a package has, you know, is having trouble being delivered. What, what does someone do when you get that email and you're not really sure? Well, yes, I would um, say in that example, if you have a phone number, Call the company directly. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if it's particularly if it's to do with financial. Now, UPS, they may not be getting any financial information or your login and password and so on. But if it's your bank, if it's any PayPal or Amazon or anything where you ha- are doing financial transactions or it's going to have your username and password, I would definitely um, call them directly or go yourself to the website address that you know is yeah, correct. Don't click on the link. Right. Don't ever <clears throat> click on the link. That's great advice. Yeah. So I guess leading right into the whole identity theft area, mm-hmm. well, what is the most common way that you see, and maybe it is phishing emails, but what is the most common way that, that people are, I guess, getting, uh, spammed. getting spammed? Yeah, their information. I think um, at this time I'm noticing um, phone. The phone is a big one. Mm. Um, the phone and computer. So someone will get a phone call from someone saying, oh, I'm from calling from Microsoft. And your computer has a problem, and I need to get on there. Warning bells should go right on your head, mm. mind. Mm-hmm. Microsoft doesn't know who you are. They're not <laughs> going to call you. They don't have time they for that. probably don't care. Exactly. <laughs> so um, any calls like that, unsolicited calls from tech support, should be immediate warning bells. Mm-hmm. Don't ever let them get on your computer, because what they'll do is they'll direct you to get on your computer. They'll lead you to an area that will look like it's a problem but it's not really it's just what's in your computer and then you'll think oh yeah there is a problem so then you they'll ask you if to let them log into your computer mm. and now they've created the problem and ask you to pay them x amount of hundred dollars to fix it um so that is definitely something you don't want to do uh, on the phone side again you'll have the IRS calling you. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's been pretty yeah. publicized. Just that, happened this week yeah, to a client. They're not going to do that. The IRS isn't going to call you. And even if you thought that there's a possibility, call them yourself. Hang up and say, okay, well, I'm going to check myself. Find the number of your local office or the, the main office and call them and just if you want to reassure yourself. My son actually received a, a call. We had him on here a couple months ago and we played the recording from the IRS and it's pretty intimidating. They basically mm-hmm. told him that if he didn't call back and resolve it, they were going to issue a, a warrant for his arrest. Yeah. 19-year-old wow. you yeah. know, college yeah. student, that kind of gets your attention a little bit. So. Um, yeah, you and you said you had uh, yeah, a client had a that had an client, issue with that. Yeah, I mean, just this week had a client where the Department of Treasury supposedly called him and you know wanted seventy five hundred dollars. We're promising him something like three hundred thousand um, dollars if he sent in the money. And you know, apparently they were very, very convincing mm-hmm. because there were like two different sources that he was supposed to talk to, and you know, had no different numbers for and. He'd called him and talked to him, and, and mm. you know, he was convinced that it was real. He'd written down it was legitimate, and his 
daughter caught it and stopped the transaction. But, um, you know, he was convinced he was going to send them $7,500, and, yeah. you know, they, they called him. And I think that brings up a good point if, is if you do get something and you're not sure of, what steps should you take? I exactly. Mean, yeah, um, contact somebody. Yes. You know, if you're not sure, call a family member, call a friend, and just say, well, do you think this is legitimate? I mean, you can wait a few minutes and not act immediately. They're always trying to give you that sense of urgency. Um, and just get some help. If you're unsure and your gut is telling you, this doesn't sound quite right, but I'm, I feel like I should act, you need to stop and think and contact somebody. Mm-hmm. And I, I think these scammers really understand psychology and how when people get afraid financially or threatened, that they take action. And that's a problem. Another example that I had is a friend whose mother was called and she ended up buying uh, several hundred thousand dollars worth of Target gift cards mm. and then giving the Target gift card numbers to the person on the phone and once they have that, that's it. So again, right. you know, anybody soliciting money. Personally, I don't even give money to charities that call me on the phone, mm. whether it be the fire department, you know, they have those mm. um, charity yeah. things going on that's where they call you in. Unfortunately, I've become a bit of a cynic. Mm-hmm. So if I want to give money to a charity, I'll contact them myself. I mm-hmm. do not ever give money to unsolicited phone calls. Yeah. That's the bottom line. That's, that's interesting. And, and, and we were talking earlier. And so, I, I mean, I had just have a personal question. When I, when I travel, which isn't that often, but, uh, and I, I don't go international, but when I travel in the United States and I go to, um, you know, let's say uh, Myrtle Beach and I'm at a, a Hilton hotel, mm-hmm. is it okay to, to check um, you know, my personal bank accounts, you know, using the Wi-Fi at a, at a local McDonald's or Hilton or whatever. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely not. Oh. Do, do, not, <laughs> use, do okay. not use public Wi-Fi to okay. check your accounts ever. Wow. Because mm. it's public. Even if they have a little password on there, it's public. And so you put in your passwords, somebody can actually skim yeah. those off somehow? Yep. There are ways. People could be sitting in the background with some device where they can detect people that are logging into a public Wi-Fi and pick up your information. <coughs> so there are a couple of solutions to that. If it's a regular bank that you use and you have your smartphone, I actually suggest get the app on your phone. Mm-hmm. And that way you can check it wherever okay. you know it's secure and it's on your phone. That's a good Failing idea. that, the other option you can do is to set up Wi-Fi hotspot on your phone. A lot mm. of people don't realize if you have um, a, a smartphone, you already have the ability to create your own private Wi-Fi with your okay. own password. And it's just a matter of going into the settings and set that up. Uh, you know, Try and do it ahead of time if you can plan for that. But even if you did it on the spot, it's not that difficult. Mm-hmm. And you can then create your own personal Wi-Fi, which you could then use to connect your tablet or your computer to banking and feel pretty comfortable yeah. that you're going to be secure. And, that, and that's safe because, I mean, I go to the airport and I see that all the time when you're trying to log into the Wi-Fi on the airport, mm-hmm. which apparently I shouldn't do. Right. But but I see everybody's Wi-Fi hotspots, you know, that are up there. And, and you could pull them up. Of course, right. they have a password. Right. Well, as long as you have your password. It's like when you're at home and you see you, you look for Wi-Fi in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You'll see everybody around you. And some of them are, have the names of the person which I don't recommend. Right. So um, you can see that. But as long as you don't have their password, you can't get in. Yeah. 
I got you. Well, that's a great idea. I guess you have, need to have unlimited data or, or have some reasonable data plan yeah, to, be able yeah. to just, do that. Just a reasonable amount. I mean, it's not unless you're doing a lot of video, it's not going to use up much of your data. I guess it's a personal piece of it. So if you're just out there surfing the web, then using the, the, the local Wi-Fi right. is good. But it's when you're checking your personal exactly. accounts. That's, that's a good – that's a very good tip. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's interesting. How about um, – so what what is the best way to protect yourself from from fraud? Um, you know, not necessarily the phishing scams. Mm-hmm. You kind of talked about that a little bit, but identity theft. Yeah. Well, my number one thing is you hear on the ads. You know, once um, identity theft has taken place, they talk about well, freeze your credit, set up these uh, mm-hmm. monitoring systems. But my thought is well, prevention is better than dealing with the aftermath. I, I agree. So why I not like freeze that. your credit? before mm. that all happens. So my credit is frozen. Mm-hmm. It's been frozen for years. I contacted the three credit bureaus and you can do this online or you can call them. And in Georgia, it costs $3 per credit bureau to freeze your credit. And then when you want to unfreeze it, so say I wanted to buy a car, I need to unfreeze it so they can check my credit. Um, and I can unfreeze it. It costs $3 again to unfreeze. So $10 to freeze it, $10 to unfreeze, well worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you unfreeze, you can set it for a limit. So if I'm going to buy a car, I'll unfreeze it for a week or maybe a few days, and then it automatically will freeze back again. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to do that part. So the peace of mind doing that is you know ahead of time that nobody can open an account in your name with your social security when you're account is frozen with the credit bureaus and that's something you can do now you don't have to wait till there's a problem to freeze your account and do you recommend doing that online versus calling whatever you feel comfortable with um you a couple of them will require you to have a pin so just make sure that you write down exactly the information that you set up Mm -hmm. um just like any online account set up or you know accounts that we have nowadays but make sure you keep that information safe because you will need it when you want to unfreeze your account but it, it Go ahead. It is just a tremendously easy and secure way of keeping your information. And it's okay um, to write that password on a sheet of paper and write passwords on it and keep that where everybody can find yeah, it? Well, no, <laughs> not where everyone can find it. I, but have, I have like hundreds of passwords over the years. I yeah. mean, I have, a, yeah. I, have a, I have mine in an Excel file, okay. which is password protected. Itself. But it's got, I, I'm serious, it probably has 150 to 200 entries. Now, some of those are not valid anymore. Right. But it is it is overwhelming how many passwords we have in today's society. And before we go into the pat, that's one of my questions: <clears throat> password okay. managers and all that. But before we go into that, a couple questions about the the freezing your credit. Mm-hmm. Um, one is is does it create any problems? Is there is it a hassle to like I've seen with credit frozen, you can't get an account on Social Security SSA.gov and mm-hmm. and get a Social Security Administration account. Um, without with that done mm-hmm. because I guess it somehow it's supposed to access your credit file. Right. Well, and they, they need can't to do check. It. Well, yes, I mean. So there's a few of those, I guess, but are there many of those? I don't know of any others. Well, it depends how often you're looking for loans and okay. stuff, basically, how yeah. often you're getting your credit checked. I mean, you need it for a cell phone purchase, usually, okay. for a car, major purchase, you know, home loan. Normally, those things just crop up every few months, and you know ahead of time, or, you know, you know at the time. So, to me, the inconvenience of having to unfreeze outweighs all the rest of the year when I'm not buying anything. But I know that okay. my credit is frozen and I'm not going to get 
somebody trying to open an account in my name. But these security checks, it seems like more and more of these institutions now have these security checks when you call in or something where they want to, I guess they're accessing your credit file mm -hmm. to, to ask you these hard questions of, have you ever lived at this address right, and all right. those so it prevents that. Yes, I present, exactly. I Which is prevents, great. So that's yeah, the proof is. of the point of it, yeah. right? Right, That it right. prevented that. That's a good so. point. So if you freeze your credit, do you need to have um, identity theft monitoring? Because I, I live in the state of South Carolina, mm -hmm. and they had their databases um, you know, uh, uh, taken a couple of years ago. And so the state of South Carolina actually provides that for free to South Carolina right. residents. Uh, and I get notes occasionally on stuff, but not, not too often. Not too well, I think um, personally, I don't have it. Okay. I have had it in the past, okay. but I feel secure enough that my credit's frozen. I yeah. monitor my bank accounts, um, my credit cards, my bank um, cards. They're very good at alerting me mm -hmm. if any untoward or unusual charges start occurring. You know, um, I, we live in Georgia. If they, if someone starts buying in Kentucky or something, they're going to say, hey, you're not here. And you didn't tell us you were traveling <coughs> to this place. So we assume that's not you. So um, from my experience, however, there's no harm in it. You know, if you feel like you want that extra security, extra monitoring, go for it. Everything we can do to feel comfortable and prevent these people from getting to our money and our information is, is good. I agree. That's good. It's amazing how many people out there are, are scamming. I mean, there's probably uh, certainly hundreds of thousands, but um, it's pretty sad. It makes me so mad when I hear yeah. about that, when I hear about my clients. It's just ridiculous that people, I guess it's the, the, the world we live in now. Yeah. You know, it's easy to do it. You can sit on your computer at home and just be in your room, hacking away, mm -hmm. figuring out how to do these things, which is why... Um, you know, we can put in all these preventions, but really diligence, being aware and just using common sense with these things is probably the number one way that we can prevent it. Because as soon as we come up with something to prevent, they're going to be figuring out how to break it and to go around it. So you That's just have point. to be diligent and aware. That's a good point. And that yeah. goes also for family members. If you have, you know, an older person, you need to be reminding them, don't if someone calls you, don't give them money. If you get an email that says, I'm out of town, I'm out of the country, and I'm in hospital, and I need money for mm -hmm. medical bills, don't call yeah. me first to make sure, because I yeah. would have told you if I was going out of town. Kind of thing. Yeah, my I've advice to, happen. for elderly parents would be to, to just inoculate them and tell them, you know, don't talk to anybody you don't know or mm -hmm. recognize. Send them to me. Right. Tell them to call me. Yeah. Give them exactly. my number. Right. You know, yeah. My daughter or my son will handle this for me. Exactly, exactly. Um, so back to John, to your your question earlier about passwords, that's mm. a big question for me too because, you know, I'm always conflicted about using a password manager versus using some protected file on my own computer, and I don't necessarily trust the cloud. I don't know how you feel about the cloud and cloud computing. <clears throat> But, you know, that's a big server up in the sky with a thousand access points in yeah. my mind. I don't know. What, what do you it's think? It's difficult. I'm pretty much, since I've been in this business so long, I think I've just got used to it and kind of accepted it. It's the way the world is. The and cloud, the convenience okay. of it right. is just outweighs for me. So all of my stuff is in the cloud. Okay. Right now. I'm with you. And but, most people's are. Yeah. I'm just but again, just monitoring. School. Like if I had a password file, in an Excel file, it wouldn't be called password. No. It would definitely. be called something completely different. So, so someone looking wouldn't recognize, oh, there's the passwords. Let me see if I can grab that so, file and hack it. So one, two, three is not good? 
No. <laughs> Mine's right. not that. I right. have a different right. one, but a lot of people do. Yeah, they do. <clears throat> and that's one of the things in, in my dealings with people is them remembering their passwords. And especially if you change yeah. the password, yeah. remembering to update your password. And yes, there are a number of ways. I mean, you can just have, even if you just have a book that you keep in a secure place, but it's the one book that has your information in it. Another little trick that I use is I have certain passwords that I know what they are in general. So I don't write the whole password out. Mm -hmm. Like I'll put, you know, the first letter, if it's capital letter, some dots. And then if I have an ampersand, then I'll put some dots. So I'm not even putting the whole thing, but I know what it is. It's mm-hmm. a good reminder to me. So I find that works great. And I know if, if I happen to drop you know, my book somewhere, they wouldn't even have a clue what that was. That's a great idea. Yeah, we use a protocol for some of our passwords in the office, you know, then it changes, like, you know, because it's kind of tied mm-hmm. to the date in certain ways. Yeah. changes periodically. And, um, but it's, uh, but I think just having some standard stuff that you have in your password and not filling it all in, in your password file or in your, is a great idea. I've never heard that. That's a great idea. Another thing I find with passwords that concerns me, and I always try and correct that, do not use your birthday, Mm -hmm. your Mm. husband's birthday, your spouse's birthday, the year you graduated, the street you lived on. I mean, anything that is out there in the public, like if you post on Facebook what your favorite pet's name is, don't use that in your passwords because hackers can guess that stuff. They have computers that can whiz through and bingo, oh, you know, it's the name of my pet and the date I graduated from high school. That information can be found out. Yeah, I was going to say I've I've heard of, um, you know, the computer systems that are they um, it's computerized and they'll go through hundreds of thousands of words and Mm -hmm. combinations trying to you know get to your word and if it's a simple you know word or you know very they'll break it right. very easily so that's why you have to have the capital letters and the yeah. ampersands and and uh, you have to be creative which is challenging when you have so many websites to go to and then you have to keep track of it yeah exactly so you do need some kind of system and there are apps you can use to keep the passwords on your phone i use e-wallet mm-hmm. um which if you're concerned about the cloud that's kind of a good one because it has a desktop sync but, and you okay. can avoid the cloud. So mm. you can have it on your phone. You can sync it to your desktop, but you don't have to go through the cloud. Um, LastPass is another yeah. popular one. Okay. So there are a few out there, which, you know, they've been around for a while. So you can be secure that putting your password in that app isn't going to compromise mm-hmm. you. But um, it is the way of the world. And I don't think it's going to go backwards unless no. we go to biometrics, eyesight and yeah. fingerprints well, and right. all that. But uh, that probably is where it's going to, eventually. Yeah, we just need to have a system and, and keep it up. You know, one of the things that we recommend to our, our clients and, and uh, just to folks in general is um, keeping an inventory of your financial record. So a one page summary. Mm-hmm. Um, of your accounts, financial accounts, bank accounts, where it's located, account numbers, um, phone numbers. I do the same thing on passwords. That Mm -hmm. file I was telling you about, I print it out, and I have it um, with my financial data in our uh, lockbox at the bank. So... That's I mean, a great idea. Because otherwise, you know, you someone passes away and it's like, all right, you got 14 accounts. How do you get into mm-hmm. them? Um, as long as you don't change those passwords. Yes. Because then you've got to go to the lockbox and update that file. Otherwise, yeah. it'll be... This is true. Useless. I do it annually. I, I update it annually, yeah. so... Yeah, absolutely. How about social media? Is it... I mean, <clears throat> I, I actually use a 
a fake birth date in my social oh. media. <laughs> my, he's my actually face. he's actually only eighteen years right, old. Exactly. That's right. I that's think right. that's more of a vanity that's fake right. birthday. It right? probably <laughs> is. Probably is. It probably didn't do any good because it's probably you know a hundred other places yeah, that my exactly. birthday shows up. Right. But uh, you know, anyway. But I mean, is, is social media? Is there way? Are there ways to protect yourself on social media? Absolutely. What, um, I have a checklist for Facebook security. Mm. There's a lot of options okay. in Facebook that a lot of people don't know. If you just go in and create a new Facebook, the default options are not the most secure. Mm. So there's things like um, securing who can contact you, who can friend you, who can see your information. Um, more pertinent to what we're talking about is you can hide your date of birth. As you, you really only need, if you want people to congratulate you on your birthday, you just need your month and year. And okay. So your day and month. You don't need the year. Mm -hmm. So you can go in and hide that year so the public doesn't see it. So that's something I recommend. Another thing is to use um, what's called two-factor authentication. Mm. Basically, it means setting it up so if someone logs into your, tries to get into your Facebook account from a different computer, you'll get an alert either via email or on your phone to let you know, and it will block it. They won't be able to get in unless they provide a code. So that's mm. a great one. Um, and one more thing on Facebook is friend requests. If someone you, you know already is a friend of yours and you see another friend request from them, don't accept it. That actually happened to me the other day. And I played along because I was like, oh, this is new. I want to see what they're going to do. So they, as soon as I accepted the friend request, I got a, a private message saying, hey, um, I just got, how are you doing and whatever. And I knew I'd just seen this person. So I played along anyway. They said, oh, I just got tons of money from this person, blah, blah, blah. Go and, and contact this number. And they gave wow. me a, a number to contact, to text them, to find out if I had any money. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Wow. So... <laughs> Well, this time has gone by very, very quickly. Yes. I think we're we're at the end of our show. Um, do you, if so, if someone wanted to contact you, what what's um, what's the best way to do that? Well, you can call me on seven zero six two six seven nine three five one or text me, um, and then you can also email me Melanie M E L O N I E at savvy s a v v y t t dot com. And you have a website. Uh, yes, the website is SavvySeniorTraining.com. Okay. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, what a great, this one really went by fast. Yeah, what it, a great topic. Did. Yeah, there's a lot of meat there. And like we said, we have a, a, a meeting coming up that Melanie's going to speak at. That's um, right. Two of them. September the 12th and also September the 14th. And if you're interested, you're listening and you want to come and, and check her out in person, um, you can uh, give us a call here in the office at 706-739-0725. Great. Absolutely. And I'm going to have a lot more detailed information and handouts at that yeah. meeting. So um, well, you that can, Facebook list. That's, that's right. Really you can ask me your personal questions. So I hope to see some of you out there in podcast land. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Melanie, it's been fantastic having you here. Thank you so much for, for coming and joining me. us today. And this has been this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week at MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. You can email us your questions at info at MoneyMD.net. Give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.